0: This past year of the COVID-19 pandemic has confirmed my call to ministry and my desire to stay in ministry. The opportunity um, to be creative and to be the church outside of the buildings and and to be the church that has a prophetic healing word to say to some of the civil and social unrests. you know, this is exactly what I wanna be doing
1: blessings to you in the name of Jesus Christ and welcome back to Pastors for Pastors, the podcast that supports and celebrates pastors. I'm Ken Broman, folks, and I'm so glad you have joined us for our continuing conversations about the stages of ministry. So far, we've talked with seminary students preparing for pastoral ministry, and then with five pastors in their first decade of ministry. Today we're sharing a lively and insightful chat with four pastors who are in their second decade of ministry. They'll tell you more about themselves, so I'll just give a brief introduction now. Evan Harrison is the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh, North Carolina. Amanda Anderson is minister-at-large in Salem Presbytery in North Carolina. Megan Argabright is the pastor of the Amity Presbyterian Church in Charlotte. And Andrew Taylor Troutman is the pastor of Chapel in the Pines Presbyterian Church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. The second decade of ministry is often that period when you've experienced most of the crises and joys of ministry You've learned what your strengths and weaknesses are Sometimes question whether you're really called to do this the rest of your career And begin to set goals for the rest of your ministry I can't wait for you to hear what these four very gifted pastors have to say So I won't wait any longer Here they are So uh, I do want to thank you all for uh, joining me for this uh uh, continuing series uh, that we're doing on the stages of ministry, and and what I would like to do is to start out uh, with your name, where you are, maybe the seminary you went to, anything else you would like to share with us.
2: Uh, Evan Harrison went to Louisville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, and really really enjoyed it. Uh, graduated in '06, I guess, uh, and then um, served. I'm Almost nine years in the Fayetteville area at Sunnyside Presbyterian Church and I'm starting my third year at Pittsburgh
1: Presbyterian Church now. Very good. Uh, Amanda, how about you?
3: Uh, sure. I'm Amanda Anderson and I uh, graduated from Union Presbyterian Seminary. Uh, in Richmond in 2005. Uh, That was when we were Union PSCE at that time. I spent seven and a half years as the associate pastor at Grand Presbyterian Church in Alamance County. And um, and after that seven and a half years, prayerfully decided that I would like to be a stay-at-home mom. Um, my son was born in December uh, of, that, of the seventh year that I spent at Graham. And so I've been a stay-at-home mom since then, officially. Um, I also was able to do uh, a co-pastor transitional ministry um, experience with my dad, who's honorably retired, um, at a church uh, at Springwood Presbyterian Church, which is on the Alamance County Gifford County line, um, but it was an honor to, to walk with that congregation through a, a really difficult time.
1: Megan?
4: Yeah, um, I have a strange story into ministry, um, but I, I graduated from Union Seminary in Charlotte um, after attending part-time for five or six years there, and one year before that in Pittsburgh, and graduated in 2013. Um, but I have been serving in churches in different ways um, since I started in seminary, um, as a worship leader, as um, worship arts director, as all sorts of different things. Um, as senior staff at uh, a large church here in Charlotte, um, before I was ordained, and I've actually only been ordained. Uh, it's been. It'll be two. Well. Last summer, I was just ordained, but I've been serving in this church uh, for almost two years now and functioned as clergy before then in several places that uh, that I serve, small churches, large churches, um, and now I'm at Amity Presbyterian in Charlotte, and uh, it's a small church that is wonderful, delightful, and um, excited about making changes, which is a great place to be
1: great to have you, Megan.
0: Andrew? Yeah, thank you, Ken. Andrew Taylor Troutman. I went to uh, Union Presbyterian Seminary in Richmond. Graduated in 2009 and served my first call at New Dublin Presbyterian Church in 2010 as solo pastor. And then in January of 2018, um, came to serve Chapel in the Pines here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina.
1: So uh, it is good to have all of you, and thank you again for being a part of this. I had sent you a quote uh, from an article that uh, I found had some, some merit, some interest, not that I agreed with everything in it, but it, it, I thought it was uh, rather stimulating in terms of thoughtfulness, and I, I want to read a part of the quote that I sent you and then i'd like to get your responses as far as whether this resonates with you or whether it doesn't there are like three different sets of rapids that those in ministry go through and the in the second set uh, this article says happens uh, between the years 13 to 15. basically the idea is you've experienced it all you've experienced the joys you've also experienced a, a lot of the pain and the grief the the frustration of uh pastoring and and uh you're at that point where the question is is often is this where i really want to spend the rest of my my career uh in ministry and i'm curious as to how how uh that hit you all uh, whether it resonates with you whether it's something that uh you've been thinking about or, uh, uh or, or not
2: at, at first, it seemed like a little bit of a depressing framing of it as ministry is a series of rapids, at which point you or your colleagues will leave. Um, but, but no, I, th- there is a lot of truth to, to some of those year marks for me. I, I definitely, uh, started feeling burnout around the, around the six year mark. And, and re- that's when that's kind of when my style of of approaching ministry was do everything and, and be everything and be Superman. And that's kind of when it's like, you know, this this cape isn't working. You know? <laughs> uh, and and I had to um, and I was lucky and, and blessed to be able to get to take a sabbatical and and do find, uh, some, some healing directions and, and work that, that helped me. And we have weathered some difficult times. I mean, you know, with, with COVID and, and racism, anti-racism, uh, issues and a lot. So, so I can, I can feel a little bit of turbulence that on this set and, and the need, to continue rejuvenating to to get through that. You know, you can't just, I think as the article said, like, hold on and just hope you get through it. You have to figure out what you need and and how God can replenish you a little bit.
0: I think that's really well said, Evan. Yeah, I guess the way I would put it, I, I definitely feel like my first years in ministry, I was reacting to just like whatever came at me. And, um, So in that sense, um, but I like to think of it, I was like paddling really hard. (laughs) It wasn't so much the rapids it's that I was reacting. And like you said, Evan, trying to do it, everything yourself. And, you know, I definitely see this new phase as wanting to be more intentional, uh, wanting to be more planful, uh, not in, only in terms of a strategic planning, uh, but also in my self care, which is what I really hear you talk about too, Evan.
1: Andrew, um, Talk a little bit more about that uh, in, in terms of how how are you intentionally uh, planning and working toward your, your self-care and other areas of ministry?
0: Yeah, I think it's not only about when I was a young pastor, they always like, take your time off, right? Guard your time off. And that's part of it. But I also think you need to be careful about how you spend your time, that you're very clear about the strengths that you have and what gives you life in ministry. And, you know, you can't do that all the time. (laughs) There there are some aspects about the call, particularly if you're the only full-time staff that you just need to do. Um, But but to be aware that those things that drain you, um, you need to make time for some other things that you feel gifted for. And um, so, again, so to think about the whole you know, not only your schedule, but the church itself and and how that vision can can come together uh, so that everyone thrives.
4: I was going to say that, that coming into this second phase of ministry, a, a great gift in it, I, hopefully, is that you've slammed into your own shortcomings mm-hmm. <laughs> and your own inabilities and then come out the other side. Like, I think that that first phase, you just it's that Superman thing. Like you're saying, you just, you think, all right, I'm called, I can do all things. (laughs) Um, and you've got to run smack into, um, what you're going to either fail at or, uh, need a lot of help with. And then there's a comfort in, in doing that and coming out the other side and being able to say, this is my (laughs) area where I need help or I need, um, you know, more support and, or that I simply will not be able to do well. And um, there's a gift in that and being able to recognize that it comes with age. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, that is, uh, yeah. you remind me of, uh, my, my college roommate was the son of a Methodist minister. And, um, he, he, I remember it was just part of a conversation, but it was so impactful that, you know, it's almost 50 years later, I remember it. He said that uh, his father's, one of his father's favorite uh, sayings was that one of the most difficult things in life is to uh, realize and accept our mediocrity. Mm. Ooh, and um, I, I, I think as we good. get older and we realize our shortcomings and the things that we are not as gifted as we would like to be, um, we, we begin to realize that at least in some ways, we're not as uh, super as we thought we were. Amanda, I'm really interested to hear from you about this, because as a minister at large, and also we should mention that you are uh, one of the moderators of the Commission on Ministry in our Presbytery, which for those who are not Presbyterian, means that you are uh, very much involved in the process of call between congregations and ministers and the ongoing relationships between congregations and ministers. So not only is this a personal thing, but you, you have kind of a bird's eye view of a lot of, of these things. So I'm really interested to hear from you about that.
3: Yes, and um, I, there was a, I was fascinated by the analogy um, in the segment that you read specifically about the, the rafting analogy or the white waters. And um, it reminded me of an experience that actually did fit well with kind of how I was viewing things and how I am doing little things at the tent right now. Um, I was on a youth group trip where I was the adult to the Whitewater Center in in Charlotte, the U.S. Whitewater Center. And we were rafting and rafting and rafting and, uh, and that was going well. And then I noticed that our guide stopped our boat And seemed to decide that he wanted to head us, head our boat, into this, like, full-on waterfall. Like, I think he thought that would be funny. I don't know. I think I saw some of the other guys do it. And so I can remember sitting there thinking, like, why are we doing, why are you doing this? Why are you sending us towards this waterfall. And, uh, and one, of the, one of the kids in the boat almost fell out, and I was trying to grab the kid and keep the kid back in the boat. So I think for me, um, especially my work on COM, like sometimes I feel like the church is like that guy. <laughs> and sometimes it feels like we are headed for, why are we purposefully driving ourselves into this ridiculous waterfall that's going to have people falling out of the boat? So, so, I did resonate with that. Uh, that experience is kind of a little bit of legend in my life. Um, uh, but, but, but yeah, so, so trying to cultivate ways that we can avoid purposefully sending ourselves into dangerous waters. Because the dangerous waters are going to be there whether we're trying to or not. But, but let us at least work in our, in our ministry <laughs> to not be like the guide in the boat.
1: So as you have uh, been in ministry for uh, a while and, and have begun to realize the things that you are very gifted at, and I know all of you and know that you are all very gifted, uh, but also begun to identify some of the things that um, you are not as gifted in as you would like to be, um, what's that What's that been like? And, and would you be willing to share some of those things? For, for me,
2: Delegation, as you would imagine from my first comment, Um, delegation is is hard. I mean, I think with, as Andrew and and several of y'all were saying, you know, when you're a solo pastor or whatever, it isn't like, are you going to do it? Are you not going to do it? It's you have to do it. Um, And so I don't really view many things as, you know, are you amazing at it or horrible at it? you have to do all of them and there's a degree you get excited when you get better at any of them. Um, but, uh, yeah, delegation continues to be one to continue to do, uh, because that impulse is just always there of it's easier to, to take extra time and extra energy and do it yourself, you know, than to figure out who's willing to do it or guess who's resentful and doing it. And you know, that sort of stuff. Um, and, and, and then just even just, stuff like scheduling, you know, like, I don't mind, I, I, I love pastoral visits, but but scheduling and the whole process of, would you like one this week, you know, or would you not like one this week, that sort of thing, um, takes a little bit of my soul away, but, you know, as, as you, know, it, you said, we got to replenish it somehow, and so those are two for me
4: just learning what um, what gives you life and what sucks it out. <laughs> um, I've all those things that you have to do and, and learning, for me, I had to do a lot of learning about um, how to arrange my days and my weeks um, with more time for the things that I hate doing. <laughs> Um, And, you know, and so that's a compassionate thing to do for myself and for my congregation. And if it's something that I don't particularly enjoy, I have to allow more time for it rather than put it off to the very end. And then it's a big, huge thing. Um, So that comes with self-awareness, I think. But um, that comes hard fought, hard won self-awareness.
1: When you say you have to, you have to budget more time for those things, does that mean that you tend not to budget very much because you don't like doing it or because it, it takes more time because you, you, you need, uh, it takes longer to do it.
4: Yes, (laughs) both of those are true. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, they take more energy from you. It's, it's, um, the administrative aspects are a challenge for me. Um, and just because that's just not where I find joy and life. And I know, I know pastors that really love that part of, of the role and they just baffle me. Um, but, but I know that that's not an easy thing for me. Um, and so I have to, um, I tend to push those off to the last minute and avoid them. Um, but they still take much more time than uh, something that that brings me joy, like crafting a Bible study or, you know, writing a sermon, even.
1: And uh, Amanda, how about you? Uh, as you as you have gone through that process of self discovery, what what kinds of things have you learned about yourself?
3: I, I definitely resonate with what Evan was speaking of in regards to delegating. Um, I'm one of those people. If I call you and I say, "Oh, do you want to do this?" and you're like, "Oh, I'm not sure." And then I'll say, oh, I totally understand. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Because I'd like to do it myself because then I know I'll do it the way I want to do it, the way I want it done. And you just that's just not a good formula for a lot of things in life, but, but for ministry as well. Uh, we are. I'll use the rafting one more time. We're all in the same, you know, we're all in that boat. And uh, so, so just one of us isn't going to get us where we want to
0: go.
1: We have all been through kind of those watershed moments in ministry, where it it does call into question: Do I really want to keep doing this, or I really want to keep doing this?
0: This past year
1: of the COVID
0: nineteen pandemic has confirmed my call to ministry and my desire to stay in ministry. And I, I know I no mean intend to diminish the suffering or grief that has come about in this pandemic but the opportunity um, to be creative and to be the church outside of the buildings and and to be the church that has a prophetic healing word to say to some of the civil and social unrest um, that we've had for so long um, but all of that and my desire to want to to not have the answers to, to, but to work with people, uh, in that dynamic has confirmed that, you know, this is exactly what I want to be doing as hard as it has been. (laughs) Um, it's been, it's been a challenge. I mean, that when I think of the word calling, it's, it's given a new understanding to that.
4: I would agree with that to see the church change in real time (laughs) and respond in real time. Um, to the issues and the challenges of the day is really um encouraging um especially if if you're one who's been frustrated by the church (laughs) in the past um to see the church big C um respond and change and grow um and reckon with its shortcomings is really beautiful um to see and um yes exhausting but so (laughs) life-giving it's been really wonderful it definitely confirms calling for me i
2: i haven't had any big uh thing things exactly like that ken um but i but you know there's there there's things like that to a lesser degree you know the the moments that we cringe when we think about you know our own ministry experience and the the words that you know people had or the the times we said this when maybe if we said that it would have helped, you know, and, um, yeah. And so, you know, the small ones you can laugh at, you know, and the, the larger ones, you know, bring, bring tears to your eyes. But I think it's almost like a, I don't know, like a weekly or monthly, but you know, it's, it's constant. Um, the more of those you face and then that we face, the more resilient we become and and, and I, it really helps to look back on some of those moments and to say you know that that was kind of bad at the time but we got through that you know and um you know that and i certainly see this this year too as as that but it's it's just so beautiful i mean to see the the good stuff you know that that's what makes it worth it you know when when and to me the good stuff is when you see god either use yourself or someone in the congregation and they're telling you about it and they just have you can just feel the joy in their voice either talking about themselves or someone they saw that they just found themselves part of God's kingdom part of the work part of the joy part of the love where we find ourselves in the midst of suffering and yet God puts two and two together and makes something much more than is fathomable. And though I, I like to call it sitting on the front seat, eating popcorn, watching it happen is this kind of, because as pastors, we get, we, we hear some of those that not everybody hears and sees some of those that not everybody sees. And I'm sure we miss a lot that other people see too, but, um, those are the moments that make it so worth it uh, for me, and, and there, there are a lot of small and medium and big joys of of being a pastor.
3: I, I think um, the being flexible at, with my presence in the pulpit, as I am able to do now, has um, allowed me to preach at a lot of different churches. We have a lot of a lot of smaller churches that are kind of Sunday to Sunday. They have Someone come in for for the pulpit, for fill the pulpit, um, you know, each Sunday. So I I think being able, actually, kind of being able to preach, um, not necessarily knowing the congregation as well, I feel that that has helped me approach scripture maybe differently or approach the process of preaching. So I've had a lot of moments um, in that that I'm I'm grateful. Uh, I'm grateful kind of for that flexibility. And, um, and and kind of I, probably going back to my undercover work again. But what are the, the, van, the the point of view that I have right now, um, I appreciate that, and that's kind of come through in different different moments. So
1: the the last two questions that I sent you, I'm going to kind of combine them because you have already talked about how the pandemic has. Uh, has impacted your sense of call in, in a you've done it in a beautiful way. But let me ask this about the the post pandemic church. Um, uh, what do you see that looking like? what What parts of what we have had to do to adapt in the church will continue? Um, do you think? and and um, along with that, what worries you most? About the church of of uh, the rest of your ministry, anyway, and beyond, and and what gives you the greatest hope?
4: What what gives me a whole lot of hope is that um, I know there's a lot of worry about oh only you know 20 of the congregation is not going to come back at all, and then another however many percent might come, back, you know. So there's all this worry about who's not going to come back. Um, part of me. Um, says well they may, maybe they weren't so engaged to begin with <laughs> those folks who just won't come back um, but I think a lot about um, the people who were never engaged before who weren't a part of a church who have not had that experience of faith community or have had a negative one um, and this season that we've been in of distance and um, We've all just, I think, experienced this hunger for community and connection, whether it's faith-based or not. Um, and so I, I wonder how many new faces we're gonna see at church, or virtually or in person, however folks are able to gather, um, because this season has really hit home the need for community and belonging. And so I'm, I'm really hopeful about that, actually. I'm looking forward to it. I think for me, the
3: hope that this showed me is that the church can adapt. we've always said we can't do it, uh, but we we can do it. It may not be pleasant, it may not be you know, but just the fact that we, the church showed that, yeah, we can adapt um, I, I think that's that's given me hope. Um, I think knowing that people want to come to worship but very clearly seeing some of what i might say are barriers people want to come worship they don't want to have to dress up and come worship and worst of all i will say this even <laughs> for myself please do not make me dress up my children and come to worship uh Thank you know you. and so uh, and you know so I, I feel like oh wait people do want to worship uh and, and maybe it's it's My upbringing in North Carolina, you know, but but, uh, people want, I think people are yearning to let go of some of the, um, I might say accoutrements, but, you know, some of those expectations that have nothing to do with worship, but that we've layered on it um, as a society and as a culture, and that, uh, so my hope is people will still want to come to worship, but we've got to listen and see what this experience taught us about that.
2: Well, I I mean, one of the unexpected things is we have six elders and two of them moved away. And they both want to stay on and are staying on because they can do everything virtually. And that's just, in any other time, it'd be we lost two elders. They're gone. We love them. We wish them well. We'll never see them again unless they happen to come back, you know, for some reason. And because we've decided to start including virtual elements and I mean we we have you know the Sunday school teacher like okay teach me how to do zoom I'm doing zoom and this beautiful thing of well we only have one person uh here distanced wearing eight masks and you know 18 feet away but then we have another six online and we're we're just combining things and making it work I mean it's it's cool it's cool to see what what possibilities have arisen out of this in addition to you know the things we all feel as the the difficulties.
1: Andrew how about you what are are your thoughts? Yeah
2: you know I echo what everyone
0: has said so beautifully um I am I am really curious as to what it will be like uh for children growing up post-COVID in congregations and um I I think that's there's a lot of excitement there. Um, I I think it's it's a in that regard it's it's a bit what I heard you saying Amanda it's a bit of a reset for us. Uh, we can like what do we most value about that, and uh, and you know tying into your point Ken how can we amplify our strengths rather than seeing. Um, you know, so often we talk about the children as a problem, as in they're not there. <laughs> uh, this is this is a real opportunity to, to amplify the kids that we have and and, and see how, what we can learn from them. Uh, so that that brings me a lot of hope, too. Uh, I said earlier, you know, learning some things as a head of staff was like learning a new language. And uh, I, I think we could learn a lot from our children and the way that they speak about the faith and uh maybe this this pandemic has has given us some kind of opened our ears to to their perspective in a new way.
1: Well, you all have uh offered just as uh stimulating and enjoyable a conversation as I knew you would. And I, I really do appreciate, uh, you know, taking the time to do this. Um, any, any last thoughts or comments or uh, anything you'd like to share before we close up?
4: I think I'll keep doing this.
1: <laughs> I will say, Ken, your whole
0: model here with the Pastors to Pastors, that gives me a good retirement goal.
1: <laughs> I, I like. I really like what you're doing. <laughs> well, good, good. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid you're thinking retirement way <laughs> too early, Andrew. <laughs>
0: I just say that because that was one of your questions. Right? <laughs> that's
1: right. Like, that's can right. you imagine retiring? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um,
0: so it's it's cool that you've embraced this, and uh, you're you're leaning into
1: it. I'm enjoying. I it. think it's great. My thanks again to Evan, Amanda, Megan, and Andrew for taking the time to share what it's like to be in the second decade of ministry. It's clear that they are navigating the rapids of ministry quite well, even in this period of global pandemic. Before I go, I want to give a shout-out to a group of listeners in the Lake Stevens and West Lake Stevens, Washington area. The statistics I receive for this podcast don't tell me who is listening, but they do tell me where the podcast is being downloaded. And nearly every episode is being downloaded by at least a few, I assume ministers, in those two neighboring towns. And I wanted to say thank you for your faithful listening. If you have a minute, email me at pastorsforpastors twenty twenty. At gmail.com And let me know who you are I'd love to hear from you Whether you listen to the audio podcast Or watch it on our YouTube channel That email address again is Pastors, the number 4 Pastors2020 At gmail.com Next time we're going to take a break From the stages of ministry theme And talk to the author of a fascinating book Entitled american liturgy finding theological meaning in the holy days of american culture you won't want to miss it until then thanks for joining us and thank you for your leadership of christ's church i'm ken broman folks and this is pastors for pastors